listening to Nats Talk on the Go, the longest-running Washington Nationals podcast going today. This podcast is proudly brought to you by our supporters club, Nats Talk on the Go, Special Ops. Now, here are your hosts, Joe Drugan and Craig McHenry. Joe and Craig, let's do it. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of Nats Talk on the Go, complete with intro music. How's it going, Craig? Uh, uh, don't you mean Kevin Owens? Oh, yeah, sorry. That's, see, now we're doing it out of order, though. We're going to confuse the people. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> and, and I'm Daniel Bryan. Is that accurate? That is exactly accurate. I, yes, yes, yes. I, I actually totally have... Oh, nice. I actually have those names pulled up so I can do research as soon as the show is over. I'm a fat dude with a beard, so it works. <laughs> well, we have a uh, we have an awesome guest on the show uh, this week. We just finished recording it. Uh, Ryan Sullivan from uh, NatsGM.com will be joining us uh, for a nice long interview here shortly to talk about. Uh, but draft. never never long enough. Never long enough. We could have gone a lot longer, but you know we only have so much space to post our shows. Uh, but we're we're excited to have him on. We had a great talk about uh, draft and who the Nationals might pick, some minor league stuff, some uh, questions, some you know some some cool stuff. So uh, general shenaniganery. General shenaniganery. Did you just say shenaniganery? I did. I like shenaniganery. It's the process of shenanigans. Nice. It is a process. A, sh- a shenanigany process. No, that that's that doesn't work. All right, nice no, nice try. It doesn't. I fail. Okay, uh, so we're going to talk about a little bit of Nats baseball before we get into talking about uh, draft and all that stuff with Ryan. And uh, so what I feel like I want to start with is today is a big day in Nationals lore. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, today's Strasmus. Today's the original Strasmus. So And it's beautiful. I feel like it's just Strasmus, right? Like when it's Christmas, it's not like the this Christmas. It's not like, you know, many years later Christmas. There's no qualifier on the Yeah, Christmas. it's just Strasmus, man. Like, okay, okay, all right. Um, so therefore, henceforth, uh, Strasmus, that's fine. Yeah. So, sorry, go ahead. Uh, Strasmus, June 8th, 2000 and... 10. 10, there we go, thank you. 10. Uh, 2010... Uh, against the Pittsburgh Pirates, um, and I would encourage anyone that hasn't, uh, check out our good friend at NL Beast Nats. Had a great uh, tweet story about 15, 20 tweets long about his experience for that. Um, just an amazing day uh, in D.C. It was, uh, I know everyone talks, we've talked about it at length a little bit on this show. It was the day the Washington Nationals really arrived as a franchise, uh, the first time they were taken seriously, the first time that the media, the world, America, all of that was actually watching the Nationals for something other than shenanigans, I guess. To, yeah, I mean, it was, it was when they came to D.C., and this is what I was trying to tweet earlier, but I mean, like Craig said, Johan has the best tweets on this, and a good string, you should go read it. But, um, like, it was basically when the team came to D.C., when Nationals Park opened... Uh, maybe maybe some cool 2006 stuff with Alfonso Soriano. And, I mean that was cool, but it was with crap. Yeah, and then and then Nationals, <laughs> and yeah, like all the things that make the Nationals a joke across Major League Baseball. And like you said, that that's how I remembered it. And I decided to go to that game at the last minute, kind of. Um, and it was 
the it was the moment as soon as you arrived at the ballpark it was it was quite honestly outside of a couple of you know like Nats Park opener that I had been to where I really arrived and it was like wow the this is what a baseball game could be like that was really the my first feeling of that honestly in my adult life was was Strasmus honestly yeah and I uh, this is weird I don't remember where I was what. Yeah, this I've, I've been trying to think about it all day. I know I wasn't at the ballpark because, well, I remember being quite poor at the time. Um, but were you in Hburg still? I don't think so. It no. was ten. Yeah, yeah, you can't have been there. Um, so I'm probably I'm pretty sure I was just watching at home, and I mean, I remember the feeling, but I don't remember specifics. So obviously, I wasn't there. I don't have that experience, but. You know, it means a lot to me because it was that huge moment for the ball club. And it was special. It was fantastic. And it's a day that should be celebrated. And I think it's going to be celebrated even more uh, with the fact that Steven Strasburg is a national for the bulk of his career uh, with his new contract. Yeah, if he doesn't opt out, he's going to stick around for a long time. That makes it so much better. It makes it mean more. It makes it, you know, that much more of a pinnacle moment that – Steven Strasburg is the potential, uh, as we've discussed, to be one of the first nationals in the Hall of Fame that was a national. Not like Pudge Rodriguez going into the Hall of Fame. And, yeah, it's going to say nationals on the plaque, but he's not going to wear the cap. Yeah, he's not wearing the cap. And that's that's the, the differentiator. And like like we, I think we talked about – it may not have been last week, but it might have been two weeks ago when we talked about Strasburg and – the the Tony Gwynn influence and staying in a city and being the guy in a city and how Harper kind of wants to be that guy too, it seems like. But um, that, you know, Strasburg is, was influenced by a guy like Tony Gwynn, that he wanted to be a guy and he he has a potential to stick around here for, what, 13 years? Yeah, it's going to be a while. That's definitely the bulk of his career without question. So um, it, that game, I mean, I was at that game and – Johan said it better than I can, so I'm not going to really steal his thunder on it. But So really, go check him out on Twitter, at NLBeastNats. But um, he just, the electricity, every two-strike count was exciting. It, he struck out, you know, six batters in a row. He struck out 14 batters. Just the, and like, again, like Johan said in his string of tweets, with like, if it wasn't for that one bad changeup early, that put the Pirates up two to nothing. It, would, it, it could have been a, even better than you imagined, which is kind of insane. Um, it was... I've been to a lot of really cool... I've been lucky enough to be to a lot of really cool Nationals baseball games, and there's a reason when we talked about top five, it was at the top of my list. It was just so incredible to be at the ballpark when that was happening. Because it was, you know... It was the beginning of the string of events that that brought the, put the Nationals on the map. It was that, and then Bryce Harper d- being drafted, and then Jason Worth signing, and just down that line of like Mike Rizzo creating momentum within the organization, and Steven Strasburg. The the fact that he could have the kind of game that he had, and so, the expectations were ridiculous going into that game. I mean, it was like this young kid who had skyrocketed through the Nationals minor league system after being a guy who finished school. He, you know, he was a 22-year-22? Was he 22 or 21? When he was 21. 
So he was 21 years old towards the end of college when he was drafted and was brought in. And, and to be able to skyrocket through the Nationals organization like that. And then in his debut on national television with all those people watching in front of a sold-out ballpark to carve up major league hitters for 14 strikeouts in his first game, it was just every pitch mattered. And I don't know if I have been to a game like that since besides Scherzer's no-hitter. Where every, and even then, Scherzer's no-hitter, people stopped paying attention, started paying, to every, paying attention to every pitch in the fourth or fifth inning. Because yeah. then it was important. But Strasburg was like that first pitch, every pitch, everybody was hanging on every single pitch. And so, yeah, it, it made it very special for, for me and anybody that was there. And so it's worth talking about at the top since we're recording on the sixth anniversary of Strasmus. Uh, Strasmus Stras- 6, whatever we want to call it. I thought you said there's no qualifiers. I know, I know. I'm the worst. Okay. I'm the worst. I, I, I corrected myself, but too late, I guess. That's fair. Yeah, it, it, was a, it was a hell of a game that mattered a lot, and it's, it was important for Nationals history to, you know, in, in, in every way. So, yeah, anything else to, to add on that note? No, uh, Scherzer's uh, doing pretty well uh, honoring Strassmus tonight so far. So far, so so okay? Yeah, so nice. Although it, we are uh, more than an hour into the game and we're in the third inning still. Yeah. Top of I, the third inning. It's going to be a struggle yeah. again. Yeah, a couple of games in a row. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about before we get into the interview, unless you have anything that I've missed, is uh, Steve Lombardozzi is a national again. Oh, gosh, yes, we have to talk about that. This is something that we certainly have to give a few minutes to. Do we? We do. <sighs> He's not a national, Joe. He's in the Nationals organization. Thank you for and, being... And started his Syracuse Chiefs time hitting behind Trey Turner... Uh, two for three in that. Oh, Jesus. Back. So the, it's just going to explode and go insane. First of all, I do want to say uh, in the last week before the signing uh, happened for a minor league deal for, for Lombardozzi, um, Dan Steinberg's piece on him playing for the Blue Crabs with our friend Josh uh, is... Who isn't playing for the Blue Crabs? No, but he's okay, works just for the organization. Wanted to clarify. Yeah, just to be clear. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Yes, uh, that would be very cool. Uh, but uh, Steinberg's piece on Lombardozzi playing for the Blue Crabs was awesome, and you should read it. And I think it will give you an appreciation of the kind of stuff that, honestly, that Steve Lombardozzi has gone through over the course of the last few years since his time with the Nats. And uh, I thought it was interesting. Did you get a chance to read it? Do you have any thoughts? I have not. I didn't even know it was a thing. It's really good. You should go check it out. Um, I shall. Yeah. Uh, it, Steve Lombardozzi, depth. Organizational it, depth. Veteran it, presence. It's not like he signed a major league deal. He signed right. a minor league deal. Tons of guys sign minor league deals that are completely irrelevant. Right. I mean, and I'm not saying he necessarily will be completely irrelevant. Don't at me. I'm just saying that he is organizational depth, and he's good for that role. Absolutely. I have no problem with getting a guy like Steve Lombardozzi in the, in the upper minor leagues to be there just in case. You don't know what's going to happen. The Nationals are pushing to make a, to make a, a deep run this year, and they're going to want some depth probably at some point this year. They certainly have a fair amount of middle infield depth at the moment, but you can never have enough, enough depth anywhere, especially for cheap. Which, and right. for cheap means minor league deal. And yes. that's what Steve Lombardozzi signed for. Yes. Yeah. So I'm, I'm 
I'm happy that he made that deal. I'm glad that he got he he's in a place that's comfortable, it's close to home, he's been in the organization before. Obviously his connection with the farm system and Mike Rizzo made a difference. And uh who knows? I I mean let's put a percentage on it. How what do you think the chances are that we actually see see Steve Lombardozzi at the major league level in 2016? Uh, less than 5%. Z- uh, 0%. I'm, I'm going a hard 0%. I just don't think there's any way. I think there's, it's going to be like other guys that signed in spring training in previous years. I can't even think of the names where like, oh, hey, this guy signed to in spring training and will report to minor league camp for the Nationals, and they just either opted out at some point or disappeared. And I think that's probably where Lombardozzi is going to be. Uh, and quite, if you see Steve Lombardozzi at the major league level with the Nationals, something's gone horribly wrong uh, for the Nationals. Now, Absolutely accurate. I think that if you, you get him there, you have him hitting 400 after a month or so at AAA, and you trade him someplace else for something, that's fine. But and I think that might be what the Nationals are hoping for since he's been passed around a little bit already. But yeah, if you see my opinion is is if you see Steve Larmardozzi at the major league level for the Nationals this year, something's gone very wrong with the Nationals this year. Outside of September call ups. Outside of September call ups, yes. Before September we I will no put that qualifier in there. Yeah, because it doesn't matter by that point. So Yeah. Yeah. Very, very true. So any other things we want to hit about for news before we hit our awesome interview with uh, Ryan Sullivan? Mm, no. I don't think so. So here, we're going to have uh, Ryan on talk about a little bit of baseball. We have Ryan Sullivan of NatsGM.com. Ryan, how's it going? It is great, guys. Uh, 24 hours from the draft, and I'm talking baseball with you guys. I mean, I'm living the dream. How are you guys? I, I cannot complain because we are 24 hours from the draft, and we get to hear you talk about it, and that's going to be pretty wonderful. And I, well, that's uh, that's high praise right there. I'm not sure I can live up to that one, but I'm uh, I'm here to do the task, anyways. Nice. Yeah, I'm all I'm also well. <laughs> also, also, <laughs> I'm, I'm here. Craig, Craig's here. Hi, Craig. Hi, Ryan. No, uh, I'm excited to have Ryan on. We've we've had very few guests on this show ever in the first place. Uh, I think we've had one guest on twice and now Ryan's making I want to say your third appearance on Nats Talk on the Yeah, game. I'm pretty sure Ryan's the leading appearer on the show. I think you just surpassed uh Mauricio? Yeah, we did have Mauricio on twice, that's right. Wow, that's uh Mao's a good guest too. That that's definitely living up to some hype there. All right, yeah. very nice. So, you know, you you have to keep up with that legend, but I I believe in you. Well, that's one you. of us. <laughs> okay, so Obviously, Where are we going, Ryan, guys? Yeah. Obviously, Ryan's here to talk about draft, but we're also going to get his opinion on some things like College World Series, uh, college coaching, coaching responsibilities, Nat's system, but uh, mainly the draft. But we're actually going to start at a far more important question. Ryan Sullivan, what are you drinking? Oh, I'm actually kind of excited about this one. I am drinking a bomber of Rogue Nation Brutal IPA right now. Nice. That's, nice that's got to be like 95 IBUs, man. That's probably it's, face peeler. It's, it's very strong. It's not too heavy on the alcohol, though. It's nice. It's uh, it's quite nice. What about you guys? Joe? I am having uh, an Oscar Blues 1050 Imperial Stout right now. Dang. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm going for broke Ooh. at the top of the show. And Craig. Yeah, 1050 is a, a big boy. Uh, I've got a 2016 Founders Kentucky Breakfast Stout. Oh, you are a dick. 
I'm wow. sorry. I'm sorry. Wow. That was just I totally lashed out. I'm sorry. It's fine. That's fine. It's yeah, the uh, trio there, Joe. Jeez. Founders Founders Breakfast Out is my favorite beer of all time, and Craig knows it. Is it really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and, and this is the uh, aged in bourbon yes. version. So. Yes. So oh, that's wow. why you didn't tell me before the show what you were drinking, and you said, I'm just really excited about it. No, I'm super duper. I saved sure. it for this sh- for this show. Nice. This is my first 1050 I've ever had, actually. I saved it for the show as well. So That stuff is like diesel. Like It's real good. It's real it's, good. It's I've thick. Had this. I have not had this yet. Okay. I've got to oh, try man. this. It's, it's tasty. It's, it's, a, it's a pricey brew, but it is a, it is a nice one. If you yeah, like a was big a, roasty stout. It was a splurge. I was at the store this weekend, and I said, "You know what? We're gonna have Ryan on the show. I gotta, I gotta pick up a ten That's right. That's right. It's time. Uh, so yeah, uh, without further ado, um, draft. We got the draft coming up tomorrow night. The Nationals are picking twenty ninth, twenty eighth, and twenty twenty eighth and twenty ninth. Oh, that's pretty exciting. So obviously, the sexy names uh, really, honestly, doesn't seem like they exist for this draft. Um, I think I said something along the lines on Twitter the other day where it looks like the top five through seven from last year's draft would have all been the number one pick this year. It seems like it's a it's a pretty deep draft in terms of total talent, but a very weak top draft. Is that a pretty accurate depiction? Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, certainly it's it's a strange draft because normally in, in baseball and, and other sports, frankly, you see there's a separation of like the top, I don't know, four, five, eight picks every year. And this year there really isn't that. I mean, there's some guys at the top that will go and they have a, a few fewer warts, so to speak, than the guys that are going to go later. But the truth of the matter is, is that you could see the best player out of this draft come in the 20s. I mean, it's going to be a very strange draft in that respect. The guys at the top are not necessarily safer than the guys that you can take in the mid twenties, and and that's what's got me really excited about this draft is it's the guys that are going to have the good scouts and the teams with the scouting development people that are going to really do well this year because you, you can get some very talented players in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth round this year, and it's going to be who picks the right players and, and who really develops them. But to your first point, yeah, the top of the draft is definitely weaker, and there isn't that. Uh, you know, last year I think we all knew that Dansby Swanson was going to be it, – it's going to be a pretty good ball player, depending on how good, I, I don't know. But he's, you know, a fringe all-star is kind of that player. Bregman the same. Ben Attendi, uh, Brendan Rodgers all would have gone 1-1 in this draft. And, shoot, the truth of the matter is, is 24 hours from now I have no idea who's going to go number one. And, and yeah. that's pretty strange. Yeah, it seems like uh, the mocks that I've looked at over the last week as we're supposedly honing down what teams are looking for and uh, how the players rank, it seems like there's been zero consistency. How often does this happen that you have zero consist- consistency and like consensus on 1-1? One, one? It's rare. I mean, I think, I mean, even the year that Rendon slipped, uh, I mean, I think we all thought 24 hours before the draft he was going to be 1-1. One, one. Okay. And... Or at least, you know, one, two, if Garrett Cole was going to go, one, you know, first. I mean, they were very comparable, you know, prospects. But it's weird. It's very weird that you certainly can't. I mean, there could be five names that could go one, one tomorrow night, and I would not be very surprised. And that's weird. You might have one or two names in drafts. But to have, I mean, it could be Mickey Moniak, the high school kid. It could be A.J. Puck, the Florida left-hander. It could be Corey Ray. It could be Kyle Lewis. Uh, it, you know, it could still be Jason Groom if they decide to bite the bullet. So it's going to be it, – that's what's weird about this draft is the top 
isn't necessarily much, as strong as you would expect most years. Yeah, not at all. I think uh, the consensus, if they're, if I can use that term incredibly loosely, is AJ Puck. I mean, I think it's probably more future uh, dreaming. Uh, what, what what was the phrase we used before when we were streaming? Uh, something we can dream on. It's a he's what a six four lefty coming out of Florida. Got a six seven two four. He's 6'7". What? And he's a monster. I mean, he, he is the left-handed version of Lucas Giolito, for those in the audience that have seen him. I mean, that's how that is how he is built. I mean, he is just a monster. And when he's right, you see him throwing 95 to 97, touching 99 from the left side. And he's got a slider that's just – I mean, it's like Andrew Miller's from the left side. I mean, it's disgusting. But then you also can see him at times where he can't throw strikes. You know, he'll go six innings and walk five or six guys. Uh, he can get hit around a little bit. I mean, he's not even the Friday starter for Florida. I mean, that's actually Logan Shore. So, I mean, this is a guy who's their Saturday starter and who could be the first pick in the draft. So, yeah, and that's that. The crazy thing about it is when you rattle off the numbers. I mean, six seven horse of a man, left-handed pitcher with that kind of uh, velocity, and he's not your just number one based on that. I mean, that's kind of insane. That's, yeah. that's just weird. And a little bit speaks to the depth that Florida has, and a little bit also speaks to that, that Puck is just so inconsistent. I mean, you can see him, and he is, I mean, two starts ago against LSU in the SEC tournament, he was amazing. And, and, you know, went, I think, seven or eight innings and mowed down ten guys. And then his next start, he goes out and he went, I think, four and a third or four and two-thirds and gave up, you know, six or five or six runs. I mean, it's... When he's right, he is the best player in this draft. Unfortunately, when he's not right, he looks like a mid-first-round pick. And you just don't see that in most drafts. I mean, normally the guys at the top are, yeah, that guy's going to be pretty good if he stays healthy. And that's just not necessarily the way this draft is. Do you think uh, the issues are all essentially because of his, I mean, it's relatively his height? I mean, is that why? I know that Randy Johnson really never became Randy Johnson until his late 20s because we're talking a 6'10 pitcher with there's so many more so much more of the moving parts that need to happen to be able to repeat a delivery has that been his issue he's just he's not very repeatable yet and is that something that you think could be easily taught um I, I do think that some of it is uh just as pure size just getting yourself to be athletic and balanced and whatever is a lot harder than when you're six feet I mean it's just you know, physics or whatever that nature and, and what have you. But I think some of it's that, Craig, I think you make a good point. I think some of it is just he has an arm stab in the back when he throws the ball. It's not the cleanest. I mean, there's a lot of movement with his arms, you know, when he before foot strike and some of that can be cleaned up. I don't want to say you said easily and that and that's yeah, probably, easily. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the word. But I, I do think it's all correctable. And, yeah, and cor I, that's that's a better word. That's why you're here. <laughs> but so I, I but I would be see he's the kind of guy that if I was taking him at 10 or 15 I'd be like yeah great okay at, at worst he's going to be my closer and he's going to be an Andrew Miller type closer great and if I can teach him to improve and clean up his mechanics maybe he can be a two or three starter I mean I mean that feels like a really nice value at 10 or 15 but to take him at one or two or three uh, you, you get what I'm trying to say a little bit. It's, there's just a lot more question marks with that prospect than 
what you would normally expect out of uh, out of somebody that's going to be selected in the top couple picks. And it's going to make a lot of money. Right. And that's why you could see, I, I go back to the point we just made, you could see a bunch of guys go one, two, three tomorrow night because if they cut deals and decide maybe we'll save some money here to go in the supplemental or the first or the second round, you could see a Mickey Moniak go first overall to the Phillies if they're going to try to save some money and then, you know, really go heavy and draft some high school kids in the second, third, and fourth rounds. So it's it, it's bizarre that I can't give you more of a solid name at, at 1-1 at this point than than I really can. What's your gut tell you? Gut probably says it's Moniak. Wow. You know, three days ago it would have been Pac. Nice. So tell us about Moniac a little bit. What is his profile? What is uh, Since you gave us a lovely Andrew Miller comp on uh, A.J. Puck, what are we looking at here? Uh, let's see. Moniac is a, a unbelievably live, just projectable athlete out of California. High school kid, uh, center fielder, going to stay in center field, no questions about it. Strong arm, pretty good speed, really good underway. Uh, left-handed bat, uh, peppers the gaps. Uh, with doubles, really good barrel control. Scouts who like him think he's going to project for some power down the road, 15 to 20 home runs kind of power. Uh, the scouts that are lighter on him think it's more, you know, five to eight. But uh, like I say, if you really believe in the, in the power, that that's a five-tool guy who should stay in center field. Very impressive athlete, a lot of want. I mean, there are a lot of things to like, but uh, it, you're projecting a lot on the power. I mean, he, his swing reminds a lot of Christian Yelich from the Marlins right now, who is now kind of – you're still waiting for him to develop into that power. Right. And now, when, when you bring up, you know, he's an athlete and hopes that the power develops, hopes that this, hopes that that, all I hear is flashbacks of Bubba Starling. Uh, the only difference is Bubba Starling never had the hit tool. Okay. And that's and, the big thing. I, I always start with if a high school kid can hit – I feel much stronger about the fact that he'll be able to learn to hit for power because if he can barrel up a ball, then it's just a matter of learning when to, you know, kind of pull on it and you develop some power as you get older. You learn to dip your shoulder in the right situations. But if you can't hit, that's the that that's the number one tool. I mean, we always come back to that. You know, yeah, he can, he's got four tools, but if he can't hit, he can't play. So – you know, I always I, I love high school kids first and foremost that I think can hit, and then I'll worry about them, you know, growing into the power later. Okay, all right, yeah, I like that. Um, now, I know that a lot of people like to talk about names. I heard you on a couple other podcasts. I forget which one. Talking favorite names in the draft. Uh, mine is actually going to be a top ten pick, maybe even a top five pick. And I think we all know, uh, based on the fact that this is a, uh, a drinking show with a baseball problem. Uh, who that name is, uh, Ryan? Who's that name? With a drinking problem. Oh, Riley Pint. Oh yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> that's a good one. It's it's no uh, what two years from now first overall pick uh, if everything goes this way in Seth Beer, but that guy can flat out play, dude. Right? Oh wow, that is a hell of a ball player. Yeah, and he's a freshman. He is okay. Seth Beer, freshman out of Clemson. Uh, he is, was what, freshman of the year and player of the year in the ACC this year? Yeah, I mean, which had... ACC, little bit of a baseball conference. 
I mean, he had 16 home runs this year and, and something like a 500 over OPS or on base percentage. I mean, it was out of control. I mean, he so, was getting pitched around, and O'Key, who's a catcher, he was probably going to go in the top 40 picks, was getting a lot of at bats this year with Beer on, uh, you know, on first base. So anyway, we can talk about Seth Beer in two years when he's, you know, going one-one. But Riley Pint, that Riley is Pint, him. the the right-hander. Tell us about Riley Pint because you know Beer. Yeah, well, of course. <laughs> uh, Kansas high school kid. Uh, 6'4", probably 190, 200 pounds, very projectable, beautiful-looking frame. Uh, you know, you would dream on it as a, as a uh, you know, if you were drawing it up. 97 to 99 mile-an-hour fastball, touches nine, uh, 102 on, on pretty regularly. He's got a hammer and, and really sits there. I mean, this isn't like one time it hit there. I mean, it sits there at times. So he's got a hammer of a breaking ball. Uh, and has the makings of a changeup, and that's what's really got a lot of the scouts pretty optimistic about him. Whereas we've seen, you know, Tyler Kolek a couple of years ago, and some other guys that that throw hard. Uh, Pint has some projection left in his body, and also uh, has kind of a feel for pitching. Certainly has a, p- a feel for that third pitch. So, you know, there's a lot of risk involved in a guy that's throwing 100 100 miles an hour at 18 years old, but. I mean, the starter kit is fantastic. If you can take away the fact that just so many of these high school pitchers get injured because the body's just not built to throw that hard at that young of an age, there's very little else. That, I mean, you know, what else would you want? You've got a projectable frame. You've got upper end velocity. You've got a very good breaking ball. You've got the makings of a changeup, even though he doesn't need it at that level. And, I mean, he's got all the talent in the world, and he could really be – you know, he could be a fantastic player and and not long. It's just like you, I keep coming back to. It's that fear of injury with somebody like that. But, I mean, shoot, he won't escape, escape the top eight picks anyways. Yeah, that's that's what I'm seeing as well. Um, now, a little bit less about uh, prospects going atop that we're going to be hearing about hopefully for years, but – uh, who are the Nationals looking at at 29? I mean, Mike Rizzo's kind of M.O. since he's taken over um, way back when has been those injured players, the Anthony Rendones, the Lucas Giolitos, that hope that you hope the injury problems, even the Eric Fetty, you know, where there is an existing injury and you're just hoping that they can be rehabbed properly and professionally and they can get back. So the Nationals, it's, I guess, a... I, I don't know if joke is the right word, but it's kind of just a, a thing that everyone looks at who's the recovering Tommy John pitcher that could have been a top 10 had they not been injured that the Nationals are going to try and steal at 29 and get another Lucas Giolito. Yeah, there's really, and this is a strange year, but there's really not that guy. I mean, Cal Quantrill might be the only guy that that could kind of fall into that category, uh, Stanford right-hander, but. Uh, I'd be very surprised if he got to us at 28. Um, and that's crazy. And that's crazy that it seems like more people are kind of taking that on. And, I mean, there being only one, it's very different. But this has kind of been a Nationals thing that other teams have kind of shied away from. But it looks like the Nationals are starting to find some success. Well, obviously, with Giolito. But it looks like Eric Fetty is really starting to yeah, he was baseball. He was starting to turn the corner, especially uh, a couple weeks ago before the oblique injury. He was just starting to get uh, the command back on his fastball. And, goodness, I saw him in April, and he was 92 to 94, was touching 96. 
slider was really good. It was inconsistent, but it was really good when it was right. And the, you know, the changeup was okay. I mean, he, he looked like, yeah, he was a, a guy knocking off some rust, but he sure as hell looked like a, uh, you know, a really nice three, four kind of starting pitcher. I mean, so, uh, to get back to your point, I, I'm hearing a lot of, uh, high school arms, uh, at 28 and I'm hearing college bats at 29. You know, you can flip-flop the order. But I'm hearing – that's what I'm hearing from the Nats at 28 and 29 is uh, a high school arm that falls uh, probably due to signability or something along those lines. And then uh, a safer – and I'm using those air quotes, obviously. Right. Uh, a safer kind of a college player at that at the next pick too. One, to try to save some money or save at least be, be a little within bonus slot anyways. And uh, – Try to balance out the portfolio and the risk a little bit. Absolutely, absolutely. That sounds uh, definitely like a Rizzo thing. Who are the Boris clients out there? Who are the big uh, Boris guys that might be a little bit of trouble? Uh, the high school name that everybody's talking about is Drew Mendoza. We've been linked to him in a couple of mock drafts. He's Obviously. A, he's a Boris client. Uh, committed to Florida State. Both of his parents went to Florida State. Uh Play shortstop in high school, probably going to be a third baseman. Uh, I got a really interesting poor man's Kyle Seeger comp on him. Wow. Which made a lot of sense in a lot of wow. ways. That's a decent comp to have at this point. Yeah, I mean, a guy that can hit a little bit will maybe grow into some power, but has good barrel skills at third base, will be a really good defender there. Shoot, I mean, we don't think about him because he's in Seattle, but that's a really good player. So, Dude, he's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I, that's a good name. Uh, Kyle Funkhauser is another guy that I just keep hearing, and he's a God. senior. He was drafted. That's a great name. That's an A plus name, I think. Yeah, <laughs> that, That's like a that's like a solid seventy five name for me. So he was uh, he was drafted by the Dodgers last year. Didn't sign at thirty five overall, I believe. Went back into the draft. Struggled until shoot his last two or three starts at Louisville, and really turned it on the last couple starts and. Obviously, the Nationals have a great relationship with Scott Boris, and we need favors. He needs favors. Um, I'm just – I would say 58, our second-round pick, is the absolute floor for Funkhauser. I don't see any way he gets past there, and I, I certainly wouldn't be surprised if he was one of our two picks. Excellent, excellent. Uh, let's kind of change over a little bit. Uh, I'm watching a lot more College World Series than I have before. Uh, I used to watch it pretty regularly, but, you know, in the past couple of years, I've kind of just fallen away from it. But I've been watching a lot, and one of my favorite things is as we get to this time, Super Regional starts, what, Friday? Yeah. Uh, for, for most teams. Uh, who are some names that we can still watch that we're going to see, oh, this player was just drafted in the seventh round by the Texas Rangers. What kind of players uh, can we still get eyes on in the next week? Uh, that are going to be drafted. Obviously, A.J. Puck, and I know Florida's doing well. I think they are in the Supers. They advanced, and they're playing Florida State. I was going to say, you can pretty yeah. much just watch Florida's pitching staff, and most of those guys are either going to get drafted or they are going to get drafted down the road. So, And plus, they have you know Peter Alonzo at first base, who will go in the third or fourth round as a first baseman. They've got Buddy Reed, who could go um, certainly in the back half of the first round, center fielder. And they have a ton of freshmen that'll go uh, down the road, you know, in future years. Uh, you can also watch watch Louisville. That's another team that's just. I mean, they have shoot probably ten guys that'll get drafted either this year or next. 
Uh, a name to really watch is their catcher. Uh, I think it's Will Smith, although some of these names. God, that'd be amazing. But he's, uh, he's proven he can catch velocity. He's absolutely flying up boards. Uh, I would not be surprised at all. In fact, I might mock him to the Nats tomorrow morning uh, in my final one. Uh, it, it quite, a Really good bat. Didn't strike out much this year. Um, a really good defensive catcher. New to the position. Uh, that's a really good ball player. Obviously, we mentioned Corey Ray earlier. Uh, Solak, the second baseman, is very good. Uh, the third baseman with the Tribbiandi or whatever his last name is is, is going to go in the top five to seven rounds. He's a great player as well. I can't pronounce his last name, but he's good. It's more fun that way. And Funkhauser is very good. We just mentioned him on that team, and, and there's some pitching as well. So, I mean, those are the first two schools that I would start with. Uh, goodness, I'm just kind of looking around, looking down the list here. Um, at some of the other regionals that should be good. Um, the Miami regional with uh, BC, if you wanted to watch that, BC's got a pitcher, Justin Dunn, who should go in the top 15 to 20 picks. Over under Doug Flutie jokes for that series. Oh, God. Like, uh, I'm, I'm going to say like seven. I'm, uh, I'm going to go over. Yeah. Because baseball announcers, particularly at the college level, are cornier than any other sport. But – it's not the same sport. So, yeah, seven's probably a pretty good number. I might go over. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so listen, that, listen yeah, to most great. college baseball games on mute because the announcers are so bad. Well, we're, we're talking, like, yeah. double Z team. We're not even talking, like, Z team. We're talking, like, you get through the alphabet a second time. They're that bad. It's like I could go on and be like, hey, you need, like, people to do these. You need to do, like, Coastal Carolina versus, like, Wofford or something. It's like, yeah, Nick Belmonte, I got it. You, you pitched in college. I got it. Yeah, I know. Very, very, Play. very cool. Yeah. Um, one of the things I kind of want to get your take on, uh, and feel free, of course, to be as hot with said take as you want. <laughs> nice. um, coaches bringing future potential starters back on extremely short rests and high pitch counts, i.e., Throw Friday night, throw 130 pitches, come back Monday for a deciding game and throw another 110. And you're talking what College you, World Series, right? Just college World Series, yeah. Yeah, see, that's the that's the biggest difference is because to me it's like if it's a high school senior who's got no prayer of playing in college, right? let him have his man-up story for the rest of his life. You yeah, know? let him have his moment of glory, his uh, – yeah, his – his yeah, claim I, to fame is 15 and years. And always tell his son or his daughter, you know, this was my man-up story, so, you know, you can't ever quit. Great. I mean, same thing even if it's a Division three pitcher or even a Division one senior that's never going to pitch again in, in any meaningful baseball. You know what? You want your big moment of glory? Great. You're a 22-year-old man. You you can probably make that decision. But, Craig, what you're talking about is, is just much different. And I, the problem we run into is, these college coaches, they got to win. I, I mean, there's no valor in, well, I protected this guy's arm, but I lost the game. Nobody remembers that they protected an arm. I mean, y you know, we only remember the guys that get hurt. You never remember the guys that are actually, that stay healthy and do all this first and foremost. But it's, it, I mean, that college coach has to win the baseball game. And unfortunately, we too try to coincide this well. The better talent they bring in, particularly pro talent, means more wins that they'll get down the road. And there is some of that relationship. But, I mean, goodness, the coach at Stanford has, has a horrible track record of blowing out arms and shooting. UNC as well. Yeah, I mean, he's been there for 
40 years. And I mean, the guy at Rice has blown out more arms than anybody you can imagine. And he's been there forever. So, but they're successful programs and they have very high academic standards, which is, you know, first and foremost at those institutions. So, yes, not a revenue sport. I mean, I, I think that you see guys like Kevin O'Sullivan at, at Florida and you see Tim Corbin at Vanderbilt. Those guys are very good with the arms that they get, and henceforth a lot of those guys get drafted. But it's also they have so much talent that they can afford to. I mean, their sixth best starter on their on their team is better than most teams' first or second. So you can afford to be a little more protective when you have that kind of talent. So I don't – I it's a little bit of a chicken or the egg thing in that respect, but – I don't know. I mean, I, I think coaches are first and foremost there to, to protect their players. I mean, that's what you're there for. And I don't know. I, I mean, I, I really I, I get caught up in the how can that guy really be better than your other option? Yeah, and, and it's I, tough because you wonder if they have that responsibility uh, to the player and their future as opposed to their own, I guess, <laughs> winning the ball game. It's a, I guess it's a fine line because – I mean, you brought up the fact that they're student athletes and that education is the most important thing, but you got to also figure health probably needs to come into play just a little bit. And um, I mean, all of the experts will tell you that's the kind of thing that will tear up an arm. So, oh, uh, Joe, what do you think? I mean, it's interesting to think about when you look at a, a bunch of programs where you have guys, like you talked about Vanderbilt, for example. Like That's something that even as somebody who doesn't follow it all that closely knows that Vanderbilt's a a program where yes, they have a lot of success. They have a lot of depth, but they also take care of a lot of arms. Right. So it it's, it's tough. And then you have programs like you said, Ryan with Stanford and and UNC where academic standards matter. And so kids want to go to these schools, but there may not be a great track record uh, for keeping players healthy necessarily. Uh, And I think it's a tough situation for, for, student athletes as well as coaches the coaches are trying to keep a job they're trying to keep a dynasty going but you have players who are trying to end up in the you know end up some of these guys are trying to end up be major league baseball players so and and and, where's your loyalty lie is it to the 29 other ball players who aren't going to go play college or pro baseball and want to win that college world series or that uh conference tournament or whatever it is or do you have it to the one player who has a pro future i tend to lean towards the the one with the pro future but i can I can see where it'd be really hard to look at the other 29 guys in the face and say, no, we're going to sit down this guy because, you know, I- I'm worried about him four years from now getting Tommy John surgery. Yeah, and it's a tough situation. It, it obviously, you know, it, to not to have to bring it up, but it harkens back to the Steven Strasburg situation with the Nationals with like, you know, it's, at the major league level, it's obviously significantly different, but it's it's the Nationals and Mike Rizzo taking a calculated risk by saying in 2012, we're not going to pitch you and then. It hopefully paying off long term because you know Steven Strasburg signed with the organization for for a long period of time, but at the college level it's different. There's no loyalty to any other sort of organization. That that guy is definitely leaving. He's time limited in, in your in, at your school inside your on your team. So, you know you get what you can out of that player and you try to win to build up your resume to be the one of the better coaches, better coaches of your generation or of all time, but. Where where do the loyalties lie? And I and I think it's probably really hard for a, for a player as well. If you're a guy that knows that you have a chance to end up in the major league draft, and then you but you also want to sign with a team that's going to get you exposure, and that's going to be a good program where you might not you know where you're going to have a, a coach that wants to win. 
Well, and shoot, I mean, you've lived with these guys and you've breathed and practiced with these guys for nine months, and all of a sudden now you're going to say, eh, guys, I'm not going to take the ball? I mean, that, that that takes a heck of a young man. I'm, I'm not saying that they shouldn't do it, but it's, it, that's a hard thing to do in front of 29 other men. I mean, I'm... I, 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 I'm not saying that sh- shouldn't be what they would do, but man, that's really hard to that's, do. That's it's, that's what Matt Harvey couldn't do last year. So, yeah, I mean, and he's yeah. a major league baseball player making a bucket of money. Yeah, and think about how much money he's probably cost himself long term. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Just the early start to the year this year was, was enough for that. So it, it's it's an unenviable position for either you know for either set of guys, whether you're the coaches and the and the athletic director in that organization, or if you're if you're the player that. From the time you're choosing what school you want to go to, you have to take a lot of calculated risk and make a lot of calculated decisions to that really affect your your future potential career if you, you know, but are projected to be that kind of player. I mean, the the final thing maybe I'll say about it is just it, it gives you all the when guys like me and guys like me, smarter guys like me, then say high school kids should sign out of the draft unless they're really not prepared to go play professional baseball. That team has a huge investment in you. They want to keep you healthy. They want to make you the best athlete they can. And while the college has kind of the same desire, it's certainly not to the same level when you put in hundred, two hundred, five hundred, seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars into somebody. I mean, you're, you're pot committed at that point. It's, it's much different than when you're in college and somebody gets hurt and you can pull their scholarship and say, well, you know, it was nice knowing you. Right. Yeah. We only have 11 scholarships. So there you go. Yeah. Um, all right, so we don't want to obviously hold you too long, but hopefully we can do a little uh, rapid-fire questions. I'm here as long as you guys want. Let's do it, yes. Yeah. So w- what we're going to do here is uh, we're going to just do all of the questions. So you're going to be part of the end-of-show questions. Are you cool Just no that? NXT spoilers. That's all I uh, ask. Oh, <laughs> uh, obviously. That obviously. I'm missing right now, no spoilers. That's all I ask. Everything I know I know. Roman Reigns is a thing. Not in this. So you're even okay. that. Okay, good. That's all I ask. No spoilers for the pay-per-view that I'm, that I'm pausing right now. Otherwise, let's talk some baseball. All right. We'll, we'll get through these questions quickly. There will be some questions directed right for you, no, some just time it's perfect. overall I'm... questions. Uh, so Emily asks, what are your thoughts on how the Nationals using uh, Felipe Rivera and Blake Trinan? Do you have any thoughts on that, Ryan? Uh, way too often. Yeah. I, well, the Blake Trinan situation, I thought on uh, what on Tuesday evening when he pitched three innings, it was just that was so weird. It it really did feel. And Andrew Flax tweeted at the time. I was like, "Yep, that's pro- that almost seems certainly like that. That it's basically yeah, you're probably the guy that goes down here in a little bit when uh, Matt Belial gets ready." So, I mean, did I, something did Yasmero Petit have the flu or something? Where was he? Like. That's like his job, and he's pitched one time in the last two weeks. Right, and even Solis. I mean, he pitched. He threw the ninth inning last night, I think, um, or something. Yeah, I think he threw Solis through the fifth. But he gave us three innings on uh, shoot. Was it Sunday? Whatever it was. Yeah, he gave us a uh, he gave a lot of time. But uh, I mean, Petit ended up throwing a one inning appearance last night, but I thought it was just a strange call. Obviously, Rivera is being used way too often. I do like that uh, Dusty Baker is using in, him in some high-leverage situations, though. Because, well said. Uh, well he's, said. Got some, he's got some fire. So, yeah. But I'm worried what he's going to look like in August with 60 appearances under his belt. I mean, he's got, what, 28 or 29 already, and we're you know, barely yeah. June. Yeah, he's already Pretty much getting, half the games. He's already getting the Tyler Clipper treatment, and you know that that worked. Tyler Clipper made it through it for a little while, but 
you know, you're talking to a guy who with uh, with Rivero who's incredibly young that's already dealt with a, a, a little bit of injury history. So, and not know, the most physical man of all time either. Yeah. So I, I'm. I'm equally concerned about that. That's the one guy where I go, uh, you know, when, anytime he comes in a game, I'm like, oh, God. A 15-day like, DL stint for him wouldn't be the worst thing for yeah. a foot or a cramp or something. A little a little refresher DL stint. Right. A, a bad flu, you know, something yeah, exactly. that's not arm-related or anything bad. A Yunel Escobar-style flu. A really necessary mono for 10 days or something. I mean, yeah. you know, something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. I think that would probably be good for, for all parties involved. Uh, so Fang asked a series of questions here. We'll go through them. I'm, well, if we've talked about it in the show, we can, Hi, we can move past it. Uh, any under the wire surprise prospects you see in the Nats, Nat system? Same question, but for all of minor league baseball. <laughs> so let's, let's focus on the Nats question for right now. Yeah. yeah that's not a hard enough question. Yeah, exactly. Thanks, Thanks brother. A uh, couple of names. Uh, Pedro Avila is pitching really well up at Hagerstown, 19-year-old kid. Um, I'm getting some really good reports on him, 90-93 with the fastball, touching 94. Really good command, uh, breaking ball, and, and then change up as well. Uh, probably in our probably in the 15-20 to 20 range in terms of prospects right now. Uh, Max Schrock also at Hagerstown. Uh, we took him, what, in the 12th round last year or something like that, paid him over slot. Uh, really can hit. Um, I don't know where he's going to play defensively. Those hands are kind of stone hands defensively, and somehow they're really good hitting a baseball offensively, which is kind of the Daniel Murphy thing. But uh, he can really hit. That That's another great name. Uh, uh, Edwin Laura, the shortstop, also at, at Hagerstown. I keep coming back to those names, but they're that team. But that's kind of where uh, they have a lot of talent on that team. I mean, they have 10 to 15 legitimate prospects, but the shortstop there, he's – He's a guy who's not hitting great right now, but uh, the defense is really solid. He's growing into his body, and that's another name that, uh, you know, could shoot up lists, you know, maybe not in the next two or three months, but maybe in the next 12 months. One of the names we talked about in the episode last week, we were talking about catchers and, and Wilson Ramos and whether or not he's going to be coming back. And we talked about Spencer Kaboom um, and whether and what he kind of projects to. Do, what do you see from him in the organization? This is just a question for me in general because we talked about it last week, but uh, what do you see from him? Do you see anything that could project him to be a legitimate Major League Baseball player? And if so, starter or, you know, do the Nationals really have to make an effort to to lock down Ramos or, or Lobotone here soon? Uh, if it's not Ramos, the starting catcher for them in 2017 is not in the organization. Yeah, that's what I thought, right? Uh, no, I mean, I like Kaboom or Kaiboom a lot. Kaiboom, yeah. But uh, right-handed pull power. Uh, can put the bat on the ball a little bit, doesn't strike out a lot, very good defender, strong catch and throw, but he's a backup. I mean, he, he's a nice backup. Um, I'll use David Ross as kind of a comparable, you know, good catch and throw guy, yeah. can, a little bit against lefties, um, but gets extended if you start playing him more than 50, 60, 70 games a year. So, I, I, think that's, I think that's where he is. I think he's, a, I think he's an improvement over Lobatone, but I'm, I'm not a Lobatone guy at all. Okay, so you, you see uh, – uh, Kibum as the replacement for Lobaton then, if, if the Nationals can can lock on to, to Ramos for a few more years? It, him or Severino, one of those yeah, two. Yeah, Severino is the other option. That's kind of what I was wondering. I mean, Severino's younger, a little bit maybe more athletic defensively, much different defensively, but both are very good. Um, I think there's a little more potential with Severino, certainly because he's younger. I still think he's 23 if I have it right, whereas Kibum has got to be 25 or 26. Does Severino have the arm? 
Yeah. Okay. He's got a really good arm. Yeah, that, that's kind of was, was my impression that he, he has He needs to work on his hitting ability and his um, the maturity a little bit. That that's Those are the knocks more on, on Severino. But defensively, there's no problem with him. I mean, he, he's he's very good. I mean, you know, everybody needs refinement and polish and all that stuff. But Yeah, makes sense. Uh, I'm going to skip through some of these questions here and try and hit the most relevant ones. Uh, Fang wants to know, what does uh, Nats GM watch at a, watch for at a baseball game that maybe the rest of us don't? So what do you what do you look for at a game, Ryan, that the rest of us might not be looking for that we should if we're if we're interested in kind of scouting and looking at players? Am I at a game or am I watching on television? Sure. <laughs> Pick one. Because um, there's so few games that I actually go to as just a fan. I mean, I think I've been to two baseball, two Nats games this year just as a fan, and I went to a couple of Cubs-Nats games in Chicago. But every other time, you know, I've got my notepad out, I've got my stopwatch going and my radar gun going. So it's it's actually kind of fun for me to just go to a baseball game and honestly sit there and relax. Uh, I will still say that I'll have a, a, a stopwatch in my hand most of the time, timing guys home to first, just because that's kind of the stuff that you can't get as well off the TV. Right. You don't see exactly when the guy will hit the base and those kind of things. I, the honest to God answer, and, and I wish I could give something better, but the truth of the matter is when I'm at a game like that, I'm just enjoying myself. I try to watch a little bit of what the manager does, a little bit of, you know, guessing ahead of what pitching matchups will happen and, Oh wait, are we going to pinch it here in the in you know at the bottom of the inning? And well, does he already have the reliever up? And who's he going to do? I try to do a little bit of that in my head because you can do it, right? But uh, I don't have any great you know real great answer. There are a lot of times that I'll be sitting there as a fan and I'll be wondering, oh, what's going on with Matt Harvey? He's been struggling, and then I'll watch him or shoot. Danny Espinosa isn't hitting from the left side. What's going? It, it, it's more of a diagnose kind of. Well, I think Danny Espinosa tonight had something to say about that. Yeah, he just killed a baseball. Um, good for him. I mean, uh, big, big game James, uh, second inning, there's action in the White Sox pen, by the way. All right. so. It's tough to call the guy big game James when he was traded with $31 million. Like, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> you know, Ooh. Big time are you? Like, you know, it, was, it was said in jest. <laughs> myself for a lot less than $31 million. I mean, come on. <laughs> nice. I would uh, do just about as well as he's doing tonight for 25. Yeah, I love it. For 25. 25. Oh, God. Cents, like, just cents. I mean. Like, yeah, thousand. <laughs> yeah. What a bargain. I'd take so, 12 yeah. beers and call it a day. No problem. Nice. Uh, all right, so Josh Nelson asks, uh, on the 25-man roster, who is the most likely player to be traded a DFA'd or surprise us in the second half? Interesting question. I like I that like, question from Josh. I, yeah, I like so. that question a lot. Yeah. I like it. Gosh, that's a good question. Uh, traded, honestly, I'm going to say it's going to be Danny Espinosa. Really? Yeah. Yeah, for, for, uh, for the Trey because, Turner call-up? For the Trey Turner, and just yeah. because I think that he has uh, a lot of versatility, and that's very attractive. And yes, the Nationals could use him in many roles as we've discussed on this podcast. But um, I think if the Nationals organization thinks that Trey Turner is really ready, someone like Danny Espinosa becomes expendable. I mean, he's, he's a bonus. And if the Nationals think they can get uh, another bullpen arm, which they uh, so desperately crave, um, then I think he could absolutely uh, be valuable to someone. Yeah. Do you, do you have, what about uh, for you, Ryan, do you have a, a DFA or a surprise in the second half? 
Um, I mean, TFA, Stephen Drew is screaming at us. Yeah, it feels like that's uh, the guy. Also I mean, had something to say uh, against James Shields. I mean, so. when Trey Turner comes up, I just don't. I don't see where Stephen Drew is going to get the playing time. Yeah, I mean, just, you're going to play Espinosa ahead of him defensively at every position, and offensively, you're going to put Turner ahead of him in almost every situation. I was expecting them to play Drew a lot more, kind of as a what's the word I'm looking for? A caddy and and you know platoon with Espinosa until Trey Turner was ready, and they haven't done that at all. I mean, yeah, it's been Danny Espinosa's job. But I would say that uh, for me, uh, I mean, I think Craig nailed it. But I'll go Michael A. Taylor in a little bit of a surprise. Whoa! Wow! I, I think the last time we had you on the show, you you gave us your, uh, or actually, I think we asked you and you told us when we shared it on the show about your Michael A. Taylor. Uh, your kind of projection for him going forward, like the top. So what, what do you see from him now that, that, sure that, that makes you think that? I'm not sure it's necessarily changed. I just, I, I mean, we're looking at a very small pool of pe- players, as you were saying, and yeah. Taylor's the one that you could deal that could actually get something back. Yeah. Right scenario. I mean, Espinosa's just not going to give you much. And no. I don't see I don't see us trading one of the starters during the season. So it's, it's more the limitation of the question yeah. and, and toughness of the question, but... That would be the guy that I – I could see them in the right deal. I mean, if the Yankees really said, hey, we got to have Taylor if, if we're going to give you Andrew Miller, I could see that being – I could see that being – a, a, a could be a yes. I could see Taylor moving for Miller for sure. I don't think – yeah, I think that would be a an interesting move for the Nationals at this point and maybe not a necessarily terrible one. And I'm not throwing yeah. that as the deal that I'm hypothesizing. I'm just saying if, if the Yankees came back and said, hey, we got to have a long-term starting center fielder and – he fits the mold. That'd be tough to say no to. Yeah, totally, totally agree. Uh, I'm gonna I like it. I'm gonna cherry pick one more question here, and and then we'll wrap up. Uh, Only so, one more? come on. Yeah. Hey. Well, we'll we'll wrap up this section of the show at least. Uh, so uh, I'm gonna go with the Dan wanting to know uh, what's going on with Geo, who's been who's had a who's scuffled a little bit of late. Anybody have any thoughts on what's going on with Gio? I feel like the mechanics have gone back a little bit, have regressed, have gotten a little bit more towards what they were last year. Yeah, kind of leaving that, like, the the whole thing where he started with Mike Maddox at the beginning, that kind of... It feels like he was facing a lot more towards right field, turning the back a little bit the last couple starts. A little bit of that is just my eyes, and, and I don't have any you know an- or evidence in front of me, but that was the only thing that I've seen, is I thought he was getting a little bit back towards really getting his eyes away from the target, you know, looking down the the barrel kind of thing towards the catcher. Very nice. Do you think it's important that he continues uh what do you I guess what is your thought on personal catchers in general? Do you have a thought like it, it seems like he's been pitching extremely well to uh to to Jose Lobatone, but you know, it, it, sample size all that. Do, what are your thoughts on personal catchers in general and do you think that it's important for some pitchers? it's one of those things you guys did a great conversation on this. I think the last show, I I don't know. I mean, because to me, it shouldn't make really any of much of a difference, but to me, it's night and day when Gio doesn't look as comfortable out there when he's not throwing a Lobotone. And I, I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's, you know, they, they're just good friends. They can, they're whatever, but he, he seems to be a lot more comfortable throwing to him. I don't know. I, I'm kind of in the Dusty Baker of the train. I wouldn't have tried to break up that 
relationship the day they tried to do it, and, I, and I'm blanking on when it was, but it was against the Mets, maybe? I mean, it was actually a big game. That yeah, they it was pretty recently. It was about two weeks ago, maybe two, weeks ago, maybe it, two starts it, ago. That seemed odd. Like, why I think they it was three, that? yeah. Yeah, I mean, it might have been three. Do right. that against San Diego or, you know, Cincinnati on the road or something? Okay, like, you know, I, I don't mind trying to break that little, you know, crutch or whatever the word is I'm looking for, but I thought it was a terrible time to try to do it, and you know you're setting yourself up for if he doesn't pitch well that that is going to come right back on you. So I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think it's got to be a little bit of hogwash, but I just there are certain pitchers that pitch really well to certain guys. I, I don't know. I'm not a Lobatone guy at all. I think he's, I think he's terrible, quite frankly. But I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think he's this great pitch framer. I don't think he's this great defender, and he can't hit. I, I, I don't know. I, I would have moved on from Lobotone a year ago, but that's that's neither I guess neither here nor there at this point. Yeah, I think my big issue with the whole I mean the um, guy's that like one seventy since he's been right. a national. I mean yeah. with no power. I mean so it's like you better be the best defender in baseball if you're that if you're hitting that you know that. So Yeah, yeah bring back Jesus Flores or uh Jonathan Solano or something. Yeah. It's like at least give me Keyboom, who I know can hit off lefties a little bit, and he can pull jerk a home run at times. I mean, right. there are enough guys in the minor leagues that can pick it and play defense. You got to give me something on offense. Can he put the bat to the barrel and he can hit two fifty? Okay, fine. He can give me eight home runs in limited time. Okay, fine. But you got to give me something on offense, one or the other. Yeah, the hard part I find with that whole thing is, uh, like we said last week, I can't quantify something like that. Just like I can't quantify clubhouse chemistry, but uh, it clearly is something that matters to the players. And if it matters to you personally, it obviously makes a difference. It, if it means something to you, that's something you think about and something that matters in your world, in your job, in your life, and everything like that. And if Gio Gonzalez thinks that Jose Lobatone is a better catcher of his pitches, he's going to feel more confident in his own stuff, and having self-confidence is pretty important. Oh, it's... it's so, it's, I, it's just so thing. hard, yeah. It's I, just I, so I, hard to understand and quantify, but uh, I mean, there's got to like, be something to it. Take away from the baby. In, yes. in, the, in that sense, I mean, you're like, okay, you don't need this. You don't need this, baba. Come on, but on the other hand, like, what am I going to do? Have you lose and, and keep, you know not making my point over and over. I mean, I think you're right, Craig. I mean, at a certain point, you're just kind of biting your nose to spite your face. Awesome. Man, this was fun. <laughs> this, was a, this was a lot of fun. And thanks for staying on and talking questions with us, too. That was awesome. Anytime. Uh, Where to be. <laughs> so uh, let's, let's do this real quick. Uh, we're going to wrap up here. But why don't you uh, go ahead and, and pimp your content ahead of your uh, – your wonderful three days of amazing baseball coverage uh, with the Major League Draft. Well, first and foremost, thank you guys. This is always fun, and you know what a what a treat to come on. Uh, I'll be live vlogging all three days of the MLB Draft uh, starting tomorrow night. I think it's seven o'clock is uh, the pre-show. I think that's I think seven thirty is when everything gets started. Although the times could be a little off. Please join me. Uh, it's a labor of love. I love every second of it. I don't complain. I do it every year. This is my sixth year doing it, but uh, it's a lot more fun if people are chiming in with questions, comments, beer recommendations, bad jokes, anything else. Otherwise, it feels like I'm writing to a vacuum for three days. So please come by NatsGM.com, tweet me, Facebook me, whatever you want to do. 
but please uh, come by and comment. That would uh, that would really make this a, a lot more fun next three days, and uh, I won't get any sleep the next three days. So uh, otherwise, check me out on Twitter at NatsGM.com. Uh, Nats GM show. Uh, I've had both Joe and Craig on as guests, so uh, I-, I think people are, who are listening to this are probably aware. And a you- lot more important people than Joe. Way and Craig. better. People. <laughs> so well, I wouldn't go that far, but uh, I've been very lucky that a lot of people say yes when I ask them to come on, including you two. So thank you guys, and uh, this is a lot of fun. Uh, hopefully, the Nationals have a lot more talent uh, in their organization in uh, what seventy-two hours than they do right now. Absolutely, and you, you should definitely check out Ryan's show. It is really great content. Check out his blog as well. If you, if you want to get back down to, into the nitty-gritty and hear some smart people talk about baseball, he provides a lot of that content. You should absolutely go check it out as, a, uh, as an addition to this show and anything else you might read. I highly, highly recommend it. Ryan, thank you so much for being on the show, man. Well, thank you, Joe. That's, that's really high praise, and uh, thank you. And uh, Craig, uh, thank you as well. Uh, this was a lot of fun, guys. So we'll start back at the beginning uh, of the questions we got. It's a very good place to start. Nice. Nice. Uh, Doremi? Oh, uh, by the way, uh, I've got this uh, late-breaking report from our wrestling correspondent (laughs) at Smack Henry. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Kevin Owens is, quote, the best bad guy around, agile big guy who can perfectly troll anyone. So I will take it. Yeah, not bad. I will not take that. Not bad. I'm going to have to rely on uh, Smack Henry or, or, or the animal to let me know what my guy is. I don't have any idea. Uh, so, uh, does Trey Turner really need more time at AAA? If so, why? Beth Richardson wants to know. Uh, he probably doesn't, but he's not necessarily needed at the big league level. Yeah. He... I think uh, he's more blocked than needing more time. Exactly. That's a very good way to put it. Okay. Yeah, that's... Okay. Uh, Real quick. uh, Daniel Bryan, undersized everyman champion. I am also okay with said descriptor. There you go. For myself. Works for me. Works for me. Yes, yes, yes. So, nice. Uh, It's not yes, yes, no, Joe. I know. It confuses me every time. I know. That's why I said it. (laughs) Every time. So... Uh, yeah, Beth, I think, like I said, more more blocked uh, issue than needing more time where he is. Uh, if the Nationals were dealing with a really terrible middle infield, then he would be up already, but they're not. And so he's hanging out. Uh, scrolling through some more questions. Uh, <laughs> uh, Boatman? Or is it Boateman? I like Boatman. I feel like Boatman. Uh, I'm going to go with... Wants to know. We we already answered that question about uh, Lombardozzi. I just want to hit them hit them all so we can make sure that I'm not. Uh, Thanks, boat man. Uh, Fang has so many wrestling questions that we should have asked when Ryan was on, but you know. Uh, hmm. Uh, so ten weeks into the season, what grade do you give Dusty so far? The Dan wants to know. B plus. Uh, yeah. B plus. I uh, good. Actually, so uh, Dan Guzman got. Look at us, you! I know. I tried. Uh, <laughs> it wanted us to disagree, so I'm going to go A minus. A oh, minus. That was the good question. What's that? That was the good question. What was the good question? The rank the managers. The rank the managers question, which I forgot to do research on. Damn it. Uh, 
So Dan did not want us to disagree, so we'll, we'll hit that one here in a second. Okay. Uh, Dan also wants to know who is the MVP of DC Sports Media. Uh, I think it's at Craig Mack on Twitter. Nice. Now, the, now your real answer. Uh, wait, is this a serious? Are we talking media or Twitter? DC Sports Media. That's a really tough question. The only um, DC Sports Media I follow is on Twitter. So that limits my scope. Okay. Um, I'll answer this a couple different ways. Yep. Uh, I think the best writer in DC is Barry Sperluga. Yep. I think the best – I'm sorry. I think the most interesting reporter in DC sports media is Dane Steinberg. Yeah. I think he finds a lot of things that are very interesting that no one really knows about, and I think there there is absolutely room for that, and I think he is a, a saint. Yeah. Um, and then on Twitter, specifically uh, for a Twitter personality, I think records and radio – Oh man, those are three freaking good answers. I wow. That's I I'm not even answering that question. <laughs> those are three really good answers, and I'm not going to disagree with any of them. Those are really good. Okay, uh, uh, I think we can all agree the worst is uh, Tom Doswell. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. Or uh, and because Tony Kornheiser's gone. I also give shout out to uh, for writers to uh, Adam Kilgore as well. Of course, yeah, of course. Yes, for Lugo's the best, for sure. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, sleeper pick for, uh, just for Nat's Twitter, Chelsea James. Very good. Nice. Very good. Uh, also, RIP uh, Wagner. Yeah, yeah, good luck to him. Uh, so, Nat Squid wants to know, should Michael A. Taylor be sent down to AAA? Um, I wouldn't have a problem with it. I don't think it's necessary, because I think... Uh, the organization believes Michael A. Taylor is a fourth outfielder, so I think he's right where they see him, and I wouldn't disagree with placing him there. And I think uh, our guest tonight made some very good points about Michael A. Taylor. So uh, yeah, definitely in terms of possibly being moved, right? I mean, yeah. All right, to the to the question of the hour, and this is how we will uh, wrap up the show, uh, the recorded portion of the show here uh, from from Dan. Uh, Top five managers in Nat's history. Well, he says the seven technically uh, pass on Dusty if you want, and I would like to do that since you know it's very uh, an open, still an open book still. Uh, and McLaren because two games don't count. It was three, and he went two and one. Was it three? I thought it was two. Sorry. It was three, and he went two and one. So he's got the best winning percentage of any manager in Nationals history. Yeah, I'm sure he does. So. Uh, for for the five managers remaining on the list here, we've got Frank Robinson, we've got uh, Manny Acta, Jim Riggleman, Matt Williams, and Davey Johnson. So right, let's let's uh, rank your top five and give a give a quick quick reasoning as to why. Uh, this was really hard, and I made sure when the question came in, I asked a couple questions just because I wanted to make sure that I had the right criteria. And, and he was helping you out, by the way, because he knows that you like qualifiers. To yes, uh, yes, I wasn't sure if it was on field performance or general or intangibles, whatever. I just wanted I wanted to make sure I had all my ducks in a row before I uh, made an order. And that being said, uh, my order makes me very sad. Yeah. Just because, honestly... My favorite manager, he's not number one on my list, but my favorite manager the Nationals have had was probably Maniac. Mine too. <laughs> Mine too. So, so, so uh, what were the, share the qualifiers a little bit if you have them, because I, I didn't see them. 
<laughs> there were there weren't. Oh, so just leave it open. Yeah, it was totally so open. So you could I, have done favorites I, and put Maniac to one. I asked for qualifiers and I was told no. Okay, fair enough. Uh, fair enough. So well, well done, um, Dan. Well done. Well, I I am happy to always be the guy that disagrees. So I'm pretty sure our lists are going to be similar because they always are. So why don't you go first? No, you go first. You go first. Take okay, it, take it. Okay, uh, number one, uh, begrudgingly, I'm going to put Davy Johnson. Of course you will. Uh, just because uh, first manager to kind of lead the Nats to the promised land. Uh, players seem to really, 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 really love him. Number two, uh, Frank Robinson. First, always holds a good place in your heart. Um, three, Manny Acta. For I think, I as much as I was bothered at times about his reluctance to defend his players and argue and get thrown out, um, I really, really respected the man and the brain and the philosophy that he had. Um, let's see. Who's next? I just want uh, to say that the top three are exactly what I was uh, It's very hard because I hated Matt Williams. My, I thought he was atrocious. My but bottom Jim, two were really hard. But Jim Riggleman quit. Yeah. So I think I'm going to put Williams at four and then Riggleman at five just because – Riggleman quit. Yeah, I I struggled with this. The bottom, the, my top three were easy. Yeah, I mean that was very simple. Like Davey, manager, first team that got there. He took over after a manager that quit. Did a whole thing. He was that first year was incredible. It was the first time the Nationals were legitimately relevant, really, as for a whole season ever. Frank Robinson. I mean, come on, that's not even an. It's a no-brainer. And then Manny Actor for the same reason, just the the brain and the potential with his thoughts. He was a thinking man's manager, and, you know, I, I loved everything about him. I struggled with four and five, and I I kind of went back and forth on Riggleman because, you know, he's a quitter. And then – but I couldn't get over how much I disliked Matt Williams. <laughs> so Hey, we disagreed, like, barely. Yeah, I put Riggleman four, and I put Matt Williams five. We disagreed barely. Yes. Well, so, Dan, you got your disagreement. And literally could have gone that way and wouldn't have been mad at it. No. <laughs> I, I, same, same thing for me, too. I, when Matt Williams signed, I think I was like, this is interesting. I kind of like it. He seemed to be interested in, you know, the defensive shift thing. And then he, like, he scheduled every minute of his life during his first spring training. And I was like, this could be cool. And it could not have gone worse. Yeah. Um, and so I, I really gave Matt Williams the longest leash that I can give him, but I, I think he's probably my least favorite manager in Nationals history. I just yeah, I, I, I would not, uh, I would not disparage that. Yeah, um, he's terrible. Uh, he's our closer. Just yeah. makes me want to just punch a wall. Yeah, the fact that he could not deal with the media did not make it any better. Right. I mean, that, uh, that he certainly has the personality of a pile of rocks. <laughs> yes, it did not help him at all. And I'm sure, I'm sure he's a very nice guy. I'm not trying to say that like he's a bad person. I'm sure he's a very nice guy. But as a I'm manager, sure he's a very nice guy. But he's also as boring as a pile of rocks. You are fundamentally accurate. Yeah, I'm okay with saying that. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it's it's true. It's true. Yeah. Uh, he took his he took his uh, hits from the Bull Durham School of of media. So. Uh, yeah, that's a. I'm glad we ended on that question. I I loved that question when he came in. I was like, we got to finish with that one. Yeah, that I like one. it. So that's gonna do it, I think, for this episode. Unless you have anything else, Craig. 
I don't. I did, but I forgot it. That's fair. We we went super long anyway, so it's all right. I love it. I want to go long more. That's what she said. That's what she said. Uh, well, uh, first of all, thanks to Ryan Sullivan for again uh, joining us and talking baseball for a while. He's great, and we'll have him on again uh, at some point in the fairly near future. Uh, but thanks for listening to episode 123 of Nats Talk on the Go, and we will catch you guys next time. for listening to Nats Talk on the Go. For more information, check us out at natstalkonthego.com. To become a supporting member of the podcast, click on the special ops link at the top of the page or head right to natstalkonthego.com slash special ops. You can contact the guys at Nats Talk on the Go on Twitter or send them an email at podcast at natstalkonthego.com. If you like what you heard, take a minute to review the podcast on iTunes and help us spread the word. See you next time. Let's go Nats. Hey, we're here for another fun episode of Nats Talk on the Go. On the Go. And I just realized I didn't unmute that damn feed. Son of a bitch. I don't even know what that means. I nobody just heard any music at all. I didn't, I didn't unmute. I didn't unmute it. We were just we were just dead silent for thirty four seconds. So.